Hello, everybody. Josh Brown here, back for another great episode on Franchise Euphoria. Well, today's episode is brought to you by IndieFranchiseLaw.com, a leading resource in the franchise space to help you if you're considering buying a franchise, turning your business into a franchise, or growing your business through a licensing or franchise structure. So go on, check it out, IndieFranchiseLaw.com. I think you'll find a lot of valuable and free information as you continue to kind of weigh franchising and licensing and the growth of your business. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy today's episode. Today, I'm thrilled to do a throwback episode to, gosh, going back to October 29th, 2013. This was the third podcast that I recorded, and it's one of my favorite early podcasts. It's with a prolific uh, business author and writer and thought leader named Carol Tice, who has a lot of thoughts on franchising and came on to speak about mistakes that franchisees should avoid before buying and when operating a franchise. And I found the interview as I re-listened to it to be just as good as I remembered it from way back when. And Carol is uh, very blunt, very honest, uh, doesn't pull any punches, and I think provides some great insight into what you should be thinking about before you buy a franchise. So without further ado, please enjoy this what is my third episode way back in 2013 with Carol Tice. Are you thinking about buying a franchise but concerned it might be a big mistake? If so, you will want to tune into this episode of Franchise Euphoria. Today, I am thrilled to be interviewing Carol Tice. Carol is a longtime business writer and also the owner of her own six-figure online business launched in 2011. Her new book is The Pocket Small Business Owner's Guide to Starting Your Business on a Shoestring. She was a staff writer at the Puget Sound Business Journal for nearly seven years. Since 2006, she has been a full-time freelance writer and covers franchising and entrepreneurship for Forbes. Her work has appeared in the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Entrepreneur, Seattle Business, Seattle Magazine, among many others. Corporate writing clients have included Costco, American Express, Dun & Bradstreet, and Dell, as well as the top websites Copyblogger, Problogger, Freelance Switch, and many more. I am thrilled to have her on the show, and welcome, Carol. Hey, thanks for having me. How are you doing today? I am doing good. So you've been a writer for quite some time, and it's obvious you have a lot of experience and have been very, very successful. I'm kind of curious, have you always loved writing? You know, I really did. My first form of writing was songwriting. That was what I pursued up until I was about 30. And then I found the kind of writing you get paid for. And I kind of never looked back and really plunged into the world of reporting and writing nonfiction and wrote for alternative publications. And then I spent five glamorous years writing about nothing but home improvement retailing. And that was sort of my big introduction to business, which when I got the job, I just thought, oh, this is going to be so boring. And I was totally fascinated. Five years went by in like a blink. And that was just covering lumber yards. (laughs) Really? I learned everything really that I know about business from that job and from all those hardware store owners about business and how to have a profitable business and how to evaluate a business opportunity. And that really, when I got to the Puget Sound Business Journal, I started covering franchising. And so I was covering both, you know, national franchises that would come into the Seattle area and franchises, franchisors that were based here. 
including Chaco Del Mar, was one of the big ones that I covered all of their many missteps. And it's all kind of a sad story. You know, eventually they basically went broke and the franchise was bought. The original owners kind of had to go out of the picture. And it, I mean, it's a, it's a successful chain today, but they aren't involved. They they lost control of the company. So, you know, I've lived through a lot of business drama like that and learned a lot about franchising in particular, the whole world of this model and when it makes sense and, you know, when it doesn't. And, you know, the big change that's happened in franchising since I started covering it, you know, 15 years ago, is just that there are so many more franchise opportunities because there's all these franchise packagers out there convincing everybody with one store that they should franchise for growth. And so you get a lot of these franchises that are popping up 18 months after they opened their first store. And they're wanting to sell you a franchise. And, you know, I think you said you wanted to talk about, you know, red flags and warning signs. And I'm very, very leery of these situations because one of the big things you want to buy with a franchise is expertise and a proven model. Well, this model isn't proven yet. It hasn't been around long enough for them to have two years worth of financials for you to look at. Often, the original isn't profitable, and they're hoping selling a bunch of franchises will make their balance sheet work. That is one of the things that makes me very, very suspicious. Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, I talk with people often, businesses that, just as you said, have been in business for a year and a half, two years, and they get this sort of, I call it the franchise bug, where maybe they've gone online and they've read a few things and thought, wow, this is a great way for me to expand. And I always tell them, unless you have two or three operations that you're currently running right now, I wouldn't even consider franchising before I looked at two to three, because there is such a big difference between running one store, as an example, versus two or three. I'd be curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. So you've got somebody, they've barely got experience operating this store, and they have no experience being a franchisor, which is actually a different job for a business owner. I mean, sometimes when you look at the background of these people, they were a McDonald's franchisee for 20 years before they started this or something. You know, there's a scenario where there is some franchise operation expertise and they have a deep background in operating businesses, but sometimes there isn't. And it's just somebody who's been sold a dream that if they franchise, they'll make millions. And the question to go back to is, what are you buying when you're buying a franchise? Why do you pay them, you know, six, eight percent royalties every month, which is a big, which if you haven't operated a business, you don't know is a big chunk of margin to give up. It may not sound like a lot, but for a lot of businesses, that's going to be the difference between making it and not giving up that royalty. And so you have to get a lot in return that's going to make the business that much more profitable where this is all going to pencil out. And when you're buying a newer business that has no brand equity, one of the big things you're buying when you, you know, get a McDonald's franchise is it's, it's McDonald's. People are going to yeah. drive by and go, oh, a McDonald's. Let's go in, honey. I know what that is and I like it. When you buy a newer franchise, you don't have any of that. So you're essentially paying, you know, part of the royalty is supposed to be for brand equity, but you're getting nothing on that side. You're getting nothing there. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that a big part of it is brand equity. I mean, I think when you're dealing with a true starter franchise, really what people are ultimately buying is they're buying their systems and processes so they don't have to go through that exercise, right? I mean, they're, they're doing that. So as a way, you know, a lot of people who think about getting into franchises, at least in my experience, they do so because they want to avoid, in theory, some of the mistakes that startups make. But yeah, I totally agree with you. It's I'm so glad you mentioned this early on. Is that it's a really, really big issue is that people, and I think it's almost a deeper-seated issue, is that people fall in love with franchises. I want to get to that topic, but hang on, because <laughs> okay. I want to go back to what you were saying. When you buy into an 18-month-old franchise, I'm going to say you're not even getting good systems and processes. They haven't nailed that stuff down yet. It's too early. You know, it's not like getting a manual from McDonald's. You're going to be helping to develop those processes with them. That you're not even getting that. What you're getting when you buy into a new franchise system is ground floor opportunity. Often fees to get in are lower and there's more. If you think this is the greatest, this is the next McDonald's, you might end up getting to own a hundred stores of that because you're there at the beginning. That to me is really why people buy. And I have interviewed, at one point I did a story where I went and looked up a bunch of people who had been the first franchisee or the second, you know, like a really early franchisee of a system and said, why did you do this crazy thing? And that's what they said, ground floor opportunity. And of course, it's true. If you are that prescient person who sees, oh, wow, this is going to sweep the country, you're getting that ground floor opportunity. So, you know, that to me is the reason, but you have to be so, so circumspect. And so now let's move on to your other topic, which is people fall in love with franchises. I have interviewed so many franchise owners and often on stories about doing due diligence for franchises, I will ask franchisors, give me some people who you think did really great due diligence to talk to so I can hear about how many different systems they compared and, you know, how they went to the discovery days of each one. And half of those people that I hand selected as due diligence stars, when I get them on the phone, they say, I went into Taco Del Mar and I thought it was awesome and the food was great and I bought a franchise. That is what happens over and over and over. People come in and it's like a romance. It's like a romantic comedy or a tragedy. (laughs) They go in and they go, oh, I love this pizza. Must own this, you know, or whatever. The gutter cleaner comes or the Novus windshield guy and you go, man, that's a great business. I want to buy into that. And honestly, they don't do any research. And it's terrifying to me. That is absolutely terrifying to me. As a risk-averse person, let me just say, <laughs> I find that terrifying. Well, even somebody who's not risk-averse, though, that's terrifying. I mean, people who are not risk-averse still shouldn't do things on a whim. I mean, there's still a lot of research that goes into that. I completely agree with you. I have that experience all the time where people will come and meet with them. And, and the first question I ask is, so why are you interested in the franchise? And a lot of times they'll say, well, because you never see them go out of business, or I just love their sandwiches, or you know, you know, whatever the case may be. And for me, it's always like, well, do you understand their underlying business model? And nine times out of ten, they don't. No, yeah, no idea. How profitable are they? Here's some questions I like to see people asking before they buy a franchise. How many of these franchises? have been sold off, closed, or changed hands in the past year? 
I think they have to disclose that some in the franchise document. But And then they're going to give you a list of franchisees to call her the happy ones. And you want to call some other ones, not those ones. You want to just go to the phone book and randomly start calling some owners and see what you hear. Then you want a job. My next question is, have you spent a day job shadowing an owner and operating this business? Because so many people have fantasies about franchise business operation that this is something, you know, they're a dentist, they're a chiropractor, and they're thinking, oh, I could, I've got a lump of money I need to invest in something, and I could buy a franchise, and then it would magically be a cash machine that I would not have to pay any attention to. And I will not have to show up at this store or hire or fire or I'll hire a manager and everything will just run like a top because it's a franchise. And that is usually a sad misconception. That is not going to work out. You are going to need to operate the business 99% of the time. And if you don't like standing on your feet all day, talking to workers who speak English barely as a second language, buying a subway may not be what you want to do, but you won't find that out till it's too late unless you job shadow. You know, there's a lot of, lot of, lot of franchises that are service businesses. You know, go drive around with a Bright Star healthcare person and watch them make calls on people and try and sell that service to people all day long and see if you find that fun and challenging or if you would rather be shot than beat the, <laughs> beat the street yeah. day after day to drum up business because that is what you do in service businesses, marketing, 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 and sales calls. So, you know, yeah, you need to puncture the fantasies of what this is like and that these are magical cash machines. And then the other thing is to ask these owners if they would buy again, if they had it to do over again. Ask them if they would make more money if they, you know, went and got a desk job somewhere. There's a lot of uh, fantasies about how profitable this is going to be. And you should take your hint from the fact that most development of fast food restaurants now is multi-unit development. That's because each one is so barely profitable that you would need to operate 10 or 20 to have it actually be a living for you. Now, tell me, in your experience over the last 15 years, what do you think is one of the biggest drivers of that myth, the myth that these are just cash machines, you open one up and you're on your way? Boy, I don't know. (laughs) The thing is that a lot of the failure in franchising goes on behind the scenes. You know, the average person on the street probably doesn't know that a Quiznos is way less profitable than a Subway and that their franchises are desperately unhappy people who are constantly suing Quiznos and getting multi-million dollar settlements because they feel so ill-treated. They are overcharged for their goods and they make all these allegations against the company and they're, they're unhappy campers. Kahala is another franchise system, still Cold Stone Creamery that's been sued and sued. Yeah. Yeah. People are oblivious to what all they know is there's a Quiznos store down the block and they don't know that the owner of that Quiznos store has changed five times in the last five years because each person gets in, sizes it up, realizes it's a disaster and sells it to the next sucker. You have to dig into what is going on and actually read these franchise disclosure documents and then start asking questions, not read that and go, oh, okay. Yes, they have to disclose some useful things in there, but it still spun the company's way. It, they're still putting the best possible light on the business in that document. Well, and that's true. You're and gonna, they're you're also- gonna ha- yeah, you're going to have to go out and start digging. 
Yeah, and also in, in many of the requirements in the in the franchise disclosure document, there's averages as an example, you know, averages on what their profits are. And so, you know, it's so yeah. ge- it's so geographic based that you're exactly right. And, and and I tell people that all the time. And and I really like your list of questions. I have a list as well and, and all those questions are on it. I'm curious for the person out there who is considering franchise options right now maybe doesn't have mm. hasn't made a decision what would be the first thing that you would recommend that they do well usually by the time they get to me or anyone else they've got an idea in their head of sort of what type of franchise they want to do you know i mean i guess there are people who are just like i want to buy a franchise i have no idea what and they're they're really starting at ground zero but most people i tend to encounter have a vague idea that they want to open maybe a Cumon Math Center or maybe a Subway. You know, they have an idea of the type of industry they want to be in. And the thing nobody does is, okay, well, then pull out the six top franchises in that niche and get all their franchise disclosure documents and compare them. Yeah. Who's growing? Who is closing a lot of units? And, you know, how do their territories differ? You know, one of the things that kills franchises and that franchisees complain about the most, to me anyway, is that their territory turns out to be not what they thought. And the next thing they know, the company seems to be opening a company unit of it across the street from them or down the block or, you know, one mile away. And the business keeps eroding and eroding. So understanding what are you buying? What are you getting here? You know, how much territory, how much marketing help will you get? How much training are they going to give you? Because some of these franchisors, their training systems are very abbreviated. It's like three days when you join and good luck. And others are there the whole week that you open and they come back a month later and there's like six months of different training events and then there's ongoing, you know, there's big differences in how much support you are really going to get. You know, ask them how many people make up their franchise support organization. Do they have a real estate expert who's going to help you pick a location or are you sort of on your own to figure that out? Find out what you're really buying for this royalty you're giving up and this big fat, you know, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars of franchise fee you may be handing them on the top, you know, from the start that you're never gonna get back. You know, what are you getting for that money? And well, talk to other franchises and find out if they fulfill on that, if they feel supported. And I think too, on a fundamental level, at least everybody that I speak to, I always try to find out learn a little bit more about their personality because I certainly feel, and I'd be curious your thoughts on this, you know, how personality plays into picking a franchise or in just figuring out if buying a franchise is right, is right for you. You know, that's a really good question to ask because some people are really going to hate being franchisees because they want to do their own thing. A lot of people quit their job in corporate America and they want to start a business because they hated having a boss. Then they get into a franchise system and wake up and realize it's the same thing all over again. It's the same darn thing. They're going to be told what to do, what they can advertise, when, what price they have to charge for X, you know, and it drives them crazy. And then then when they have creative ideas of how to improve the business, they're going to hit a stone wall with corporate. There are franchise organizations that are receptive to franchisee ideas and input and love them and implement them and spread them out chain wide. And, you know, there's many great franchisees that a lot of the great ideas come from the franchise members. And there are other systems where it is their way or the highway. They are not interested in your insights. 
you know, and generally the older the franchise system is, the more it gets entrenched and it, the harder it is. And that's another reason people buy into newer franchises is they feel like they'll have a, more of an opportunity to be entrepreneurial and innovative and shape it and that management will be more receptive. So, yeah, you kind of need to find out how entrepreneurial a system it is because some are and some aren't. And some give you will give you a lot of flexibility about how you're doing, what you're doing, and where you buy supplies and, you know, what you want to put on special this month. And others will not. Yeah, and I find the really good ones do value. They may not – you as an, an individual franchisee may not have a big enough voice in a, in a large established franchise system. But certainly the good ones that I've seen through franchisee associations – you know, sort of the power of the the franchisee owner operators, if they get together, that's actually one of the uh, due diligence, you know, questions and principles that I, I always encourage people to find out is how other franchisees have experienced that because you really want that as even though you're buying a set system, as we all know, I mean, things change over time and, and you as the franchisee owner operator are right there on the ground that sees things day in and day out where the franchisor back at the corporate offices just isn't seeing those same things. So you really need the franchisor to be open to those kind of suggestions. Yeah, but even in the systems that are, the wheels of change turn slowly, you know, and that's something you just have to realize. If you really want to do your own thing, be your own person, being a franchise owner may not be for you. If you are the kind of person who feels terrified about how to run a business and you feel like, I would like a ton of support and a manual that just takes me through it step by step and I'll just follow it and everything will work out, franchising could be great for you. I mean, the idea is that you're taking some of the risk out, but there's a lot of controversy about whether it really does, about statistics, about how much more successful franchises are than mom and pop's. And there's a lot of debate out there about how good, how much we can really rely on the data that says franchising is more successful. I think franchising in a successful system is more successful. I don't know about it overall. I don't know if I would. I think you're absolutely right because the big myth is, you know, you see numbers out there and I've actually, I've actually been at, at events, you know, where people are selling franchises and they use these numbers and it's, it's you know, I, I usually raise my hand and try to correct them, but they'll say, yeah, oh, they, you have a 90% chance of success. And I go, no, that's just not true. I mean, that's an absolute lie. I mean, there's no other way to say that because the numbers that they're calculating and basing that off of don't count as failures stores that resell. So in other words, right. if, you know, so if you buy <laughs> right. a franchise, if I buy a Jimmy, if whatever franchise it is, okay, if I buy it and instead of going bankrupt, I just say, okay, I find another buyer who I'm going to resell to. Well, that's a, just like a failure in most instances, because if it was running very well and it, if it was profitable, you likely weren't going to sell. Now, there are exceptions to that, but those resells aren't counted as failures. And so it really skews those numbers. And in my experience, there really is any more likelihood of success in franchising than there is in just starting up a small business, with the exception of what you said. When you are in with a very experienced and good franchise system, you do have a little bit of a leg up on that. Well, and as you say, you've picked a system that is a good fit for your personality, you know, it's entrepreneurial and you're entrepreneurial. It's a service business and that's the kind you like. You know, you've made those other matches and you're in a successful system. 
yeah, you probably are in good shape. The question is finding that fit and really doing the homework to know that this system is a good investment. And, you know, these days, I mean, the thing is, when I started covering all this, it was a lot cheaper to get into a lot of franchises. I mean, there are some low-cost ones, obviously, still around. But these days, you can't open a fat burger hole-in-the-wall franchise for like less than $750,000. And I was going to say that to me is the other big thing that I think people don't understand and that I think runs them into trouble is how much cash you're going to need to get over the ramp hump, the, the startup phase of this to live on, to put into the business. I think people tend to not be on top of this and then they run out of money. They're not understanding that they're not going to be able to take a dime out of this business for a year or two and they need enough to live on from some other source all that time. Yeah, in my experience, that's the biggest issue. That's my top issue that I find with people is they're undercapitalized. And, you know, people think that they look at it with with rose-colored glasses on. You know, they think, oh, well, I'll get this up and going. That's not going to happen to me. And the reality is I think you need at least six to nine months of cash reserves or the ability to get capital because you are going to go through a ramp-up period. There's just no question about it. It's very rare that you don't. And if you are that rare circumstance, then you're all the much better for it. But it's the people who have the capital or have the ability to get the capital that can make it through the early cycles. And I find that 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 is a big, big problem in franchising. It's also a big problem, I think, in non-franchise businesses, because I I, I see that a lot too. Yeah. In startups in general, there's a tendency to just radically underestimate how long this is going to all take. And the formative experience that I had about this came when I was a secretary and uh, my boss had a cousin who was opening a restaurant and it sounded great. It was going to be an Italian restaurant. It was going to be called Yo Mama's. And it (laughs) it just, and he had all these great old Italian recipes and this just sounded fantastic. And then he started building out the restaurant. And he built and he built and there were contractor delays and these kind of delays and that kind of delays. And meanwhile, you know, he's paying rent. Uh, and eventually the restaurant never opened. He ran out of money. The end. Wow. And that was a really early formative piece of education to me about entrepreneurship that and how people underestimate what it is going to take financially to get the business open and run it while it, you know, finds an audience, finds customers it's not going to, you know, I don't care what franchisors tell you, you know, you're going to open that new, even McDonald's and you're going to have to, it's not going to pull in 2.6 million the first year. Like their average that they disclose tells you that yeah. you're not going to earn that, you know, and just, there's just so much to learn about budgeting and labor and the cost of goods. And, you know, you're just going to be learning. And in the meanwhile, you're not operating, you know, at super top efficiency and you're not netting the gross, in, you know, the net income isn't there. Well, and I find too, and, and I think this sort of underlines everything that we've been talking about. But one thing that I find franchise buyers never think about, and that is when it comes to buying a franchise versus a non-franchise is, you know, in your example, when you have somebody who's invested time, energy, money in 
just starting their own restaurant. And at the end of the day, they run out of money and they're done. Mm-hmm. Well, in franchising, once you sign that agreement, you never, never get back your franchise fees. They're gone. And most franchise agreements are 5, 10, 15, some are even 20-year agreements. And so you're on the hook and you either have to find somebody else to buy it or find a way out of the system. So it's all the more important, I think, in franchising to be very, very careful on the front end and do extra due diligence. Uh, Yeah. And, you know, the other thing that happens is um, people go through the process and they get interested and then they go to the discovery day and just kind of sit there with their mouths open like kids on the it's a small world ride getting dazzled (laughs) you know getting dazzled by the excitement and and that is the point of discovery day is to get you all pumped up about this concept and you're going to talk to people who love it and are making buckets of money and instead of using it as your opportunity to ask really hard questions about what is the background of the managers of this you know, what other businesses have they operated? How did those do? You know, did they sell them to a big corporation for billions or did they go broke? What are you going to do for me if my business is floundering? What support is available? And then to go from there out from Discovery Day to talk to people operating the franchise and talk to people who operate the competing franchise. And Start getting a feel for how happy franchisees are in this system. How much money are they really making? How many hours are they really having to work is another one that probably people radically underestimate just as much as the money. You know, try and get a real life picture of what this is going to be like. You know, I think there's a lot of people who have been laid off by corporate America. Maybe they've got a severance package and they're too young to be just retired and give up and or they just don't have retirement money like many Americans and they need something else to do and so they open a business and then they lose all their money, you know, and then they get to get get a job again. Yeah, exactly. And And you want to avoid that. <laughs> that is what you want to avoid. Well, and I think underlying, and you've given so many great nuggets here, Carol. I really appreciate it. I mean, I, you know, I think the mm-hmm. audience is going to really benefit from this. I think, you know, there's never a guarantee for success, right? I mean, whether you start your own business or whether you're buying a franchise, there's no guarantee for success. But you have to prepare for it. I mean, you have to go through a systemized process yourself of determining what franchise or what business is going to be right for you. Failing to do that is just a recipe for disaster. And and I too, I see that all the time. You know, it's never risk-free, but getting into business is never risk-free. But you can take a lot of the risk out of the equation by doing some real research, talking to franchisees, who aren't the ones the company gives you and, you know, and really hanging out at that business, watching it operate and, and really looking at their numbers and finding out, you know, what it's all really about. I want to just say one sort of closing point. One of the big ways that a lot of people finance their franchise is through what's called a ROBS transaction, rollovers as business startups. And that's where you borrow money out of your 401k, set up a new 401k in the name of the business, put the money in there, and then you borrow it out tax-free. As you might imagine from, you might be asking yourself, how would that be legal? And the answer is it may not be. 
the IRS has taken an increasingly dim view of Rob's reactions and ha- of Rob's transactions, I should say, and has warned repeatedly that they plan to review them all with an eye to disallowing them. There are still companies out there aggressively selling this to people. We'll help you do it and set it up. And I just want to say, at one point, I did a large investigative piece about this and talked to a lot of experts in franchise law and in in tax law. And just don't do it is the conclusion. You don't want to do this. If you want to use your retirement money to start a business, first of all, it's a bad idea and I don't want you to. But, But if you're going to do it anyway, just cash it out and pay the penalty now. Don't do this maneuver where you set up the new 401k and then you borrow it out and you think you're not going to pay tax on it. You are going to end up paying tax and penalties and everything is what IRS has repeatedly said. We are coming for these transactions. We're reviewing everyone. We think they are a scam. We think they're a dodge, a tax dodge. And so just know that when it comes to financing your business, you look very hard before you engage in this transaction. Well, I'm so glad you mentioned that because, quite frankly, whenever I mention that to people, they have no idea what I'm talking about. Most people don't even know that that's an option. And, you know, there's really three companies out there that are selling these like crazy. You know, one of them sort of finding the uh, calling people, calling financial advisors, tax professionals, stuff like that, and asking if they've ever heard of them. And all of them, to a T, have talked about the fact to be very, very careful about that. Um, In fact, recommending not to do it. So, yeah. Yeah, arcane and complex, little-known transaction. And you'll see these people sponsoring conferences, and they'll tell you that we've set up thousands of these. And what they don't tell you is the IRS is planning to review every one of them because they believe they are fraudulent. And they have warned in a couple of different disclosure letters. And I believe in 2011, they started looking at them. They started, they opened a unit like, hired a group of people to just sit there and look at them. So you don't want to be here. Well, that's a great point. I'm really glad you brought that up at the end thing. And I feel like we could have a whole nother show on that specifically. Financing. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It's such a big deal. But I know that you have a book, The Pocket Small Business Owner's Guide to Starting Your Business on a Shoestring. I'd love to hear more about that. Uh, Well, I was approached to write that title by the publisher, Allworth Press. It's a series that they have, this pocket small business owner's guide. And this book is all about how to save money in your business. And each chapter is an aspect of business from market research to labor facilities, marketing sales, e-commerce, every aspect of business and how to do it for free or for cheaper. And it really allowed me to boil down about 20 years of talking to business owners and watching businesses succeed and fail. And it's just got a lot of fun stories in it that are hopefully educational about why you want to develop a discipline of saving money in your business and postponing, avoiding, and reducing costs. So that's what it's all about. And the book site for that is uh, shoestringstartupguide.com is where you find that. And then if people want to reach out to you or talk to you more about this, you've got such great insight and experience. Where can they reach? Well, you can always find me through caroltice.com, my writer's site, or, you know, you can look me up on Forbes, on my Forbes blog, The Franchise Files. Well, Carol, thank you so much. I love your passion and I love all the, the great advice through this interview. And I've really enjoyed speaking with you. Hey, my pleasure. All right. Take care.
Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of Franchise Euphoria. If you enjoyed this episode or have enjoyed the podcast in general, I would really appreciate it if you could go to iTunes and leave me a rating and review. It really helps to get this podcast out to more and more people. So the easy way to do it is go to iTunes and in the search box, put in Franchise Euphoria. You will then see my cover art and you click on my smiling face that says Franchise Euphoria and then click on the link that says Ratings and Reviews. It's that simple, but boy, oh boy, does it mean the world to me when people leave ratings and reviews. And like I said, it really helps get the show out there. Once again, would love it if you would go to iTunes and leave a rating and review if you enjoyed this episode or other episodes of the show. And until the next time, happy franchising.